If you would like to support the podcast and get some extra content while you're there, head on over to patreon.com forward slash severe MMA podcast and sign up. From the rewatch to the Q&A, we will have loads of content every week. So sign up, patreon.com forward slash severe MMA podcast. And now, here's the podcast. Graham McDonald is an idiot. Sean Sheehan of severemma.com. He even has the audacity to call himself the quote-unquote pod god. This is Severe MMA. Severe MMA. Severe MMA. Severe MMA. Severe MMA. Severe MMA. The Severe MMA podcast is finally here. Welcome to the Severe MMA podcast. Here's your host, Sean Sheehan. Welcome, welcome everybody. It's episode 429 of the Severe MMA podcast. My name is Sean Sheehan, aka the Pod God Podcast, Podcast Shawnee, Shawnee Podcast, whatever you want to call me. Joined today by the Moises Caicedo of Irish MMA media, Graham McDonald, as we talk about, uh, you know what, it was... Uh, a full week in the world of mixed martial arts. Uh, we're going to start off with a little, something a little bit different, and I'm going to throw it over to Graham here in a second to, to take us away. But before we get into all of that, ladies and gentlemen, it's time to unleash that beast within you. And this summer, Manscaped is here to help you, you take your beach game to the next level with their Beard Hedger Pro Kit. They're going past waist deep in the grooming game and diving in headfirst to your facial hair fantasies. The Beard Hedger is a game changer, allowing you to shape your beard like a true beach babe. So this summer, let the beach balls bounce and turn heads all over the place. Visit manscaped.com and use the code SEVEREMMA for 20% off and free shipping. It's time to tame that ma'am, so say goodbye to your stubble and trouble with Manscaped's Beard Hedger Pro Kit. It starts with that Beard Hedger. It's a cordless uh, rotary wheel that gives you 20 hair cutting lengths all in one guard, so no more fucking drawers full of shite, add-ons and messy stuff and all of that. It's waterproof, so you can use it in the shower or whatever. Uh, titanium T-blade as well. It's tough on hair, but smooth on your face, and it uh, brings that one-stroke satisfaction that we all are uh, looking for doesn't in there though it has dermatologically tested formulations as well to uh, uh in in that uh, pro kit uh, the beard uh, shampoo and conditioner because you know your beard hair is a little bit different from your head hair uh, it's a bit more coarse and stuff like that so it'll uh, help that even better specifically designed to moisturize reducing grown hairs and uh, replace natural oils to promote the beard held next uh, on Manscaped's beard oil, which is after all of that, you put on the old beard oil there. It uh, relieves a dryness on the beard and the skin beneath as well, adding a little shimmer and a shine. And you cap it all off with the beard balm, uh, a pomade that shapes, styles, moisturizes, and tames for a sculpted look to attract any fellows or dames. The Pro Beard Kit also comes with three free gifts, which are a beard brush, a comb, and a scissors to help it all out at the very end. So, for all of that, get 20% off and free shipping with the code SEVEREMMA at manscaped.com. It's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com. Use the code SEVEREMMA. Manscaped, Beard Hedger, one stroke, one guard, 20 lens. And, you know, while you're there, as well, we're all here on the SEVEREMMA podcast about upkeeping yourself. And first impressions do matter. There's no two ways around that. Your face is the most likely first thing someone notices about you. And how your skin looks is going to determine good or bad the first impression um <clears throat> you know myself and graham we've decided it's time to put the best face forward 
and use Caldera Lab. It's clinically tested to reduce wrinkles, fine lines, and signs of aging. Caldera Lab is the leader in men's skincare and is here to save the day and your confidence. Use our code SEVEREMMA at calderalab.com and get 20% off their best products. Um, as I said, the first impressions matter, but the first impressions of the Caldera Lab products are, are really good as well. They have the regimen, which is a twice-a-day formula to transform your skin, and it's super easy to do, and that's really the best part about it. Uh, literally takes 30 seconds in the morning at night, a little time for huge benefits. It's like brushing your teeth. You might not one after one day, but after a week, you'll absolutely know about it. And these products work uh, in a similar sort of way. You use the clean slate to start your day. It's a face, what, face wash that leaves all skin types refil- refreshed. And you use the base layer to moisturize and hydrate. It absorbs fast, so you won't have a big wet face. Yeah? And in the good is your go-to at night. Uh, it's a face serum to round things out. Clinically proven multifunctional serum that helps your skin look tighter and smoother as well as helps reduce the visibility of wrinkles and fine lines if you want to take a step further the icon then is an eye serum that helps you address the three most common signs uh, of skin concern around the eye which are fine lines dark circles and buffiness which if you're an mma fan you definitely need calera lab is made with top tier ingredients and a legit showstopper that is good for you today and the long run all it takes is 30 seconds in the morning and 30 seconds at night trust me it's all about uh, good skincare I got mine kind of kind of locked down now, Graham, and it's uh, I'm the better for it. So get twenty percent off if you want to do the same using the code Severe Man Manscaped. Oh, sorry, Manscaped. Oh, they'll kill me. Kaleralab.com. Kaleralab.com. Uh, that's twenty. I, I feel like I was held at gunpoint there. Or something. <laughs> They're not going to kill me. That's twenty percent off at Kaleralab.com by using the code Severe MMA. Jump into skin uh, and first impression royalty with Caldera Lab. Right, Graham. Here we go. It's your time to shine here because usually I come, you know, I come on and I hear Graham and then I start talking about something for 10 minutes. But today, a little bit different. You've been doing a lot of research into this um, UFC and uh, fighter, I suppose, uh, court case. Tell us, tell us what's your, your first impressions, not first impressions because it's been going on for about five years, but after looking into it a good bit and talking to a few people and things, tell us everything we need to know about it, Graham. Yeah, I think the actual first thing was filed back in like 2013 and it's been dragging on for a long time, but it, I think it really got going about five or six years ago. And uh, obviously Kung Lee and Nate Quarry are kind of the two people who've put themselves forward the most, but there's uh, other fighters, li- uh, other ex-fighters of the UFC listed. And there's also uh, 1,215 fighters who fought between uh, December 16th, 2010 and June 30th, 2017. Uh, who fought in UFC bouts that were promoted or uh, that took place in the USA or were broadcast in the USA. So, you know, that would qualify uh, a lot of people who were active in the UFC between those years, including like the Irish kind of related names like Ashton Daly, Paul Redmond, uh, Artem Loboff, Cahill Pendred, Charlie Ward, Neil Seary, Paddy Houlihan, Norman Park, Joseph Duffy, uh, Gunnar Nelson. And I'm not sure probably conor mcgregor as well uh depending on what if he has a different contract but i i don't know anything about that but uh yeah so uh 
the, the reading is, uh, quote, who competed in one or more live professional UFC promoted bouts taking place or broadcast in the United States from December 16th, 2010 to June 30th, 2017. You know, uh, it says in the, uh, that the lo- if the lawsuit is successful, they're talking about uh, between $800 million and $1.6 billion, um, and the U.S. anti-law trusts permit private plaintiffs to recover three times the damages to prove they have, quote, suffered uh, like this would mean the UFC would obviously have to pay three times any any settlement that was uh, ordered by the jury. So if the jury were to order one billion, it would become three billion. Uh, so that's a lot of that's a lot of dough. Um, obviously, this is a landmark um, decision in, uh, during the week. Uh, you know, this is the furthest it's gotten, and obviously anything like this has gotten and obviously there's still uh, like uh, a way to go or whatever and the UFC or Zufa sorry will have the ability to file an appeal in the next 30 days I believe uh, which they will likely do I'd say you know um, more than likely anyway uh, but the judge and the court in, in, in the judgment that came out like John Nash over Bloody Elbow has been covering this brilliantly follow him at, uh, on Twitter at hey not in not in the face is it hey not or, the hey, face not, hey not the face sorry yeah. John Nash, he's been covering this and he's put out a lot of stuff. So a lot of the stuff I'm quoting here is from him and from the, the court documents and things. So uh, brilliant, brilliant stuff by him. Um, and uh, yeah, so this is a lot of money, you know, this is a, a lot of money, but it's a lot of money that, you know, I think anybody who's really kind of dialed into what's been going on, uh, the practices, the UFC, the the contracts, the, the kind of... The, all the control is with the UFC and everybody kind of knows that and maybe we're used to it and desensitized to it but really if you think about it it's not right like you know it's it's the UFC is obviously the, the the UFC brass have obviously made a lot of money and they put in a lot of hard work but the court ruled that um there was no like magical you know um new promoting strategy or new business strategy that led to this it was basically just uh underpaying the fighters and and taking out the competition and there there's quotations in there from uh, or there's text messages in there between like Dana White and Lorenzo in evidence about resigning Gilbert Melendez when uh, when Melendez's contract with Zufa was ending and uh, he'd agreed to, he had an agreement with Bellator so uh, Zufa exercised the right to match and resign Melen- uh, Melendez uh, Fertitta texted Dana saying we got to keep these fucking guys oxygen until they tap out we have sacrificed too much to let anybody get traction now uh, and at his deposition, Lorenzo Fertitta testified that the fuckers were Bellator and while the oxygen referred to fighters like Gilbert Melendez and Eddie Alvarez. And then, you know, that's that's pretty that's pretty damning from a non-law person looking at that. To me, that, that seems pretty, pretty damning. There's another one where, um, you know, Dana has kind of said a lot of things publicly that maybe other presidents or CEOs wouldn't have said. And maybe some of this stuff will come back to bite him now in this court case because... He admitted openly to counter-programming um, in May 2019 in an ESPN article. He said he'd, quote, thrown together the card in five weeks in an attempt to choke out a dangerous upstart promoter. Um, I'm doing this, quote, I'm doing this fight for one reason, to make Affliction spend money. If they're in business in January, I'll be horrified. And there's, uh, there's, there's, there's other stuff as well. There's... Um, uh, Joe Silva talking to Dana White and Lorenzo um, in messages or in emails, I'm not sure which actually, uh, said, quote, I have stolen the following fights out from in underneath strike force in the last couple of days. Joey Villasenor, Ricky Fakuda, Phil Baroni, Dennis, Dennis Hallman. You know, uh, it's basically the judge and the court uh, seem to side with the plaintiffs, with the ex-fighters uh, bringing the suit. 
that uh, the UFC had over a ninety percent share of the market and had done this through monopoly, monopolistic, monopolistic, monopolistic uh, yeah. means, and that had, uh, you know, they have um, also they have uh, Joe Silva talking about uh, lowballing, lowballing uh, Diaz on purpose, low uh, Nick Diaz on purpose, uh, just just because he could, and uh, and saying that if. Nick Diaz had turned down the fights. He would have just... Uh, uh, sorry, this is when he was renewing his contract. So he had one fight left in his contract. They wanted to give him four or five fights. They offered him like 18 and 18 for the first fight. If he wins, it goes up a little bit and it goes up a little bit again. And if he doesn't take the first... If he doesn't take the last fight on his contract that they offered... Uh, or he doesn't take this deal, sorry. The last fight, the last fight on his contract, he'll be offered a, a really tough guy in a, on a prelim. So he's kind of out of the spotlight. And like Joe Silva apparently has like openly admit to, admitted to all these practices uh, in his testimony. So uh, yeah, it seems pretty bad for the UFC or the Zufa, and pretty good for Kung Lee and Nate Quarry and yeah. the twelve hundred and fifteen fighters, including all those Irish ones and a lot of UK ones that we uh, that we've watched over the years, and that a lot of these fans who be listening to this podcast would have kind of you know started watching MMA uh, during their period and. The UFC made a lot of money. They sold for a lot of money, and these fighters are left kind of, you know. For example, you might get eight and eight. Like that's that's that was still going at the time during these years. You might get eight grand to show. If you don't win, you're just leaving with eight grand. You can't even pay for a camp. You can't even pay your coach. You can't pay for anything with that. You can't live off that. And then if you if you don't take a fight, the UFC you don't want they they just make it more difficult for you, or just wait 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 and make you wait. There's also about you know. Um, just basically, um, Dana White kind of has, made, as I said earlier, has made a lot of public statements that maybe you know haven't been listed in this court judgment, but will but will come back to haunt them if they do go to trial. Um, the judge just basically took the side side of all the the experts from the the ex fighter side. Uh, from what I from like I'm no legal expert from reading the the eighty page document. Uh, like if anything I'm saying here is wrong, and anybody knows is uh, a legal expert, like feel free to email the podcast and and let me know. But um, from what I could see, in the, what I could see, and the, the court seemed to agree with all of the all of the the fighters' arguments and their experts, and disagree with everything Zufa put forward except for the the identity class, which yeah. was what does that uh, mean? that's like if they were on video games or merchandise or things yeah. like that if their image was used they're not entitled to be in this lawsuit but so it's a class action know, it's like all of them it's together. a class action yeah, yeah so you're automatically in if you're one of these fighters and uh, yeah. the only way to get out is to opt out which uh, why would you like you know you're, uh, so probably you're, you, you, <laughs> you should have this money coming like these fighters should at least have like a, a yeah. decent house and like you know be settled after like you know the shows they were involved in like you know uh People like Neil Siri, Carl Pendred, you know, all, all of these guys. Like they were in these big shows and they, the UFC built a, an empire off their back. I know they, they'd already been building that empire, but, you know, these were key years, these uh, 2010 to 2017 and the explosion of, of MMA and or explosion of the UFC. So, you know, these fighters should be compensated. And I think anybody kind of saying otherwise, I think, hasn't really looked into it or hasn't really thought about it or just doesn't give a shit about the fighters. Yeah, I don't think there's any doubt about that. And I don't think there ever was from the start. What I think the biggest doubt about for, for me is someone who's uh, very much been on the outside of paying attention to this for a long time, just because it's gone on for a long time, is that I, I think the fact it went on for such a long time, everyone was like me anyway. I was like, well, the UFC are just pushing this and pushing this and pushing this down the road and down the road and down the road to like 
to basically do what they said they were doing with, with Bellator and Strikeforce. It's just like take enough of like the heart out of the opposition and take enough of the money out of their pockets that they just can't go on anymore. And that's what all these massive companies always uh, do. But that's what it seems like it was. Now, what's the difference here, I think, uh, and just from my own point of view, and I suppose a lot of people are probably in my same point of view, because like everything you said there, I've, I've read that like three years ago, you know, basically. And I'm like, well, well, what's the difference now? Well, I think the difference now is the judge has made the decision to push it forward so that and as you said, Graham, unless there is an appeal within the next, what is it, 30 days, 90 days, uh, is it'll go forward to court and then there'll be different things decided and all. So I, yeah, but I, even if there is an appeal, change. from what I read, the judge seems to be pretty strong, you know, and yeah. if uh, if another appeals judge is, is a different judge looking at the ruling, you know, it's a pretty strong ruling um, from what I can see. Yeah, it's just taken them so long to actually make this ruling. Like, I always felt at the very start of when it came out, like, when you read what you just read there, Graham, when you say when, what you just said there, it just feels like such a no-brainer. Like, and, and you look at the numbers, and they're out there as well with John Nash. I think, what is it, 20% or something like that? It's like, uh, of the the profits are going to the fighters. Now, don't quote me exactly on those, but you, as I said, again, go over to Bloody Elbow and see John Nash's work on that. Well, like whatever the number is, it's like a way lower than other normal sports, and the that's one part of it, right? But then the monopolistic part. Just to explain that maybe a little bit as well, because I, I put my economics degree to use for one part. You don't need to be a monopoly to show monopolistic uh, endeavors, I suppose. For a, uh, if you would excuse the pun, because like um, people probably thinking, how can they be a monopoly? PFL exists, Bellator exists, Cage Warriors exist. It's not, that's not necessarily, like, they're not a monopoly, right? But they sh- they show monopolistic uh, tendencies. Like, they have what they would say anyways, all the best fighters in the world. They have, what, what was it, Graham, 90% of the market share or something like that? It's absolutely yeah. massive, you know? It's, it, it's like the NFL, you know? I'm sure there's other lads out there playing a game of football and stuff, but they're not the NFL, you know? So, I... This was always one that I always it's probably even bigger than the NFL because college football is actually, I believe, really popular in yeah. in America. Yeah, I, I I always thought this had uh I always thought this was a no brainer, right? That the fighters are in the right, and I always thought it was never going to go anywhere, right? So hopefully this is actually changing that, and hopefully this actually does mean that it will go somewhere and it will turn into a um a massive thing and that it will turn into something that the fighters all make money out of because that'd be absolutely fantastic i saw john nash put up a tweet about like uh there's two parts to this as well the the what has happened in the past and they have to pay money for that which we don't know how much it'll be hundreds of millions or whatever it might be but then if they might have to change practices in the future where they would have to pay the the percentage going forward which would be a massive thing for them as well so i i look and this also could be a precursor for something like the muhammad ali act equivalent in mma Mm -hmm. Very interesting. seems to me inevitable in time as well. Very interesting. Like, I, I, I don't know about the Muhammad Ali Act so much. Um, I, I think they're, what we have now, right, and I think this, 
this suit makes a lot of sense and I think if the UFC or Zufa or whatever it's called Nuko now or uh, have to pay all this money I think that's a really good thing right and I actually don't think it'll affect the sport much to be honest but I think if the Ali Yak came in I think it would I think that's a big difference and it makes it more like boxing and people probably say oh well Shani you want, we should be making it more like boxing look what the main event fighters are getting paid there and everything yeah but I don't know look what the, the lower down fighters are getting paid in boxing it's going to completely change how like MMA promotions are run I I yeah uh, I'm not, I don't know my fully behind the Ali Act I didn't maybe and like if it is the Ali Act right in MMA and I saw people um Randy Couture and others uh talk about this before it's not going to be the Ali Act it's going to be something different it's going to be you know wh- whatever yeah, it's some called kind of equivalent but yeah. yeah and hopefully that's better and hopefully we see something about that and if that's going to be way down the line I would say but hopefully when we do see something about that it makes more sense uh than say the Ali Act would for MMA but yeah I think like to be fair I'm still relatively skeptical about whether this is a massive thing or not um I my, my look my first thoughts in it are that how are the UFC going to delay this again you know are they going to appeal and then how long is that appeal going to take and could that be another two years before the appeal is either granted or thrown out and let's say it is granted then they go to wherever, wherever they go next let's say they go to court and that's going to take however long and then there's going to be an appeal of that and that's going to be another like it could be another four, five, six years by the time this is all said and done like you know and that's just pure conjecture from me based on what's already happened so Hopefully this is a huge week for Graham, but I'm I'm still skeptical. What, what, you, as someone who like me is a bit of a skeptic, what do you think? Do you think this will change it, and do you think it'll get done quickly, or do you think it'll, it's going to take ages? Well, like I think, yeah, I think the UC the Zufa will whatever the Zufa lawyers will try and drag this out as long as they can, you know, stall it. But this is, I think, this is a pretty like landmark, historic um, ruling that's already happened, you know. Um, the UFC would really have the UFC lawyers would really have to pull something out of the hat because I think the the court pretty much dismissed all of their their kind of counterclaims to to the plaintiffs uh, the fighter the ex fighters um, claims uh, they just he just kind of rubbished them so that's that's they're gonna have to stra- change strategy quickly for this appeal you know it could be a couple more years if if the appeal goes through but they still have to get appeal an appeal granted and. You know they'll have to. It, a lot of it will come down to the judge, who which judge is appointed in the. I think it's called the ninth district. To uh, where is that overview? I'm not sure. To See, that make the, a big uh, difference as well. If it's in, if it's in Vegas or somewhere, that well, could this, make a big difference. This ruling from this judge was in Nevada, so. You know, well, it's already looking really bad for the UFC, you know. Well, yeah, but uh, like uh, the UFC have a lot of pull in the They haven't made it go away yet, you know. The, yeah. that, it's been going on for a long time and a big battle was just won by the by the ex-fighters so it's it's um i think it's very promising yeah i like i i hope i'm not seeing like i'm negative on this or anything i'm just skeptical as well i i'm 100 percent behind it yeah. I hope. well up until this ruling <laughs> yeah. i just assumed that this thing would just go away and we just wouldn't it would just be like a kind of rinky dink operation and it wouldn't be you know it wouldn't be um the ufc lawyers or just or the zufa lawyers would just be so much more powerful but by the looks of things and what I'm hearing, there's there's um, a great confidence uh, from the, the fighter, the ex-fighter side that uh, they're in a really, really good position here. Uh, one thing as well, and I don't know, uh, just to throw this out there, right? So this has been going on for how long, Graham? Five, six years, a long time anyway. Um, 
there must be someone else involved in this rather than just the X Fighters, like because there's no way the amount of money involved, uh, you know, to keep this going would be just paid like Kung Lee and John Fitch or whoever else is in it. it would be absolutely broke if they weren't. So there must be some something behind this. We, look, I'm sure all of that will come out. Maybe people already know about that or, or whatever, but um, maybe that's a good sign. Like, the fact that they have been able to stay in it for this long means that, like, well, somebody smarter than us obviously probably knows something. Like, if this was... Yeah, um, you know, if the lawyers involved have waited it out for this long, a yeah. couple more years of waiting it out, it's probably, you know, penciled in as a, as a likelihood anyway. Yeah, it's it's all very interesting, and I think it's after getting a lot more interesting there because, um, you know, I, I, I you know, I, UFC, is yeah. UFC could come and try to settle this. You yeah, know, the, that's they the could try and settle this instead of appealing if they don't feel they have grounds to successfully appeal. Like if if Zufa feel like Nevada is not with them, right? Uh, and they feel they might lose it. Like they, they will almost definitely settle. I would say, and they'll probably attempt to settle in a way that they pay money but don't have to change anything. If you get me, yeah. like, well, if they go to a if they go to a jury and the jury award one billion, for example, which is in the low range of the estimate, that would be three billion. Like that would be trebled. That is a lot of money. And I, I wonder why that is. It's just a rule, is it? That's yeah, it says uh, U.S. antitrust laws permit private plaintiffs to recover three times the damages to prove that they have, quote, suffered. That's mad. That is. And like all these fighters deserve it. There's no doubt about it. Like there's no doubt about that at all. And it's it, it, I always find it. And sorry, the, the court also compared it to boxing a lot as yeah. well, which I don't think is good for the Zufa side either. No, no that definitely isn't like uh, it's it's an, a very odd situation because there's I think Dana White said it the other day. There's 650 people uh, under uh, contract with the UFC at the moment as fighters. But it wasn't always that. Maybe sometimes people forget. And, you know, they'd be they'd be thinking, OK, I'll, I'll compare it to, you know, Liverpool or Man United or whatever and look it's easy for Man United or Liverpool to pay someone you know 200 grand a week because they've only what 29 players or 30 players or whatever like that well the UFC has 650 people it was first of all it wasn't always like that second of all they're not getting paid every week they they only compete uh once twice or three times a year at most so like they're these these are things if you add it all together and all and as they have it's the percentage is the thing to look at and all and there's no doubt about it that down through the years the fighters have absolutely been screwed with the percentage of the money that they have gotten and hopefully this uh Hopefully this is the change and hopefully all you know all the people you named there plus you know all the fighters down through the years the Spencer Fishers and the you know your Joel Ozans and your whoever else all get paid and all get uh, what they what they should have been even like even if it's like a fighter who had one fight and they end up getting you know fucking 500 quid or something like that it's better in their pockets than the fucking UFC's pockets who've been you know Dana White fucking giving the Nelk boys 10 grand to do a fucking um, you know a, a round of fucking blackjack or something like fuck off with that shit <laughs> yeah like I, I believe it's gonna ridiculous. be kind of like you know if you were in the main event you obviously be your share for the, would be slightly more than somebody who never or only fought on the prelims and things like that or if you were a ranked guy, maybe you'll get more than if you weren't a ranked guy. And yeah, like I was that, reading but. a bit of that. It made a lot of sense, like, because they're 
they're not going like, oh, everyone should be paid the same as Conor McGregor or anything. Yeah, like, like if you had one fight and came in on the first fight of the night um, on like UFC on Fuel TV or something back then, you know, you're not going to get as much as, you know, a guy who's main evented, uh, been sold as the main event and been advertised as the main event and, you know, brought in a lot more eyeballs and ticket sales and stuff like that. Yeah, makes makes complete sense. I suppose we'll... Uh, We'll watch this space, I suppose, as they say, and uh, see where things go. But I think it's uh, it's very interesting, and uh, we will uh, we will see where all of this moves and where all of this yeah. shakes over the next one. You know, I don't know why fighters haven't really spoken out about their like people are. I think the fighters are like they don't want to say how much they earned for a fight, so they, they don't want to release that information. But that's the kind of information that uh, that people don't know and people want to know. And if they did know, maybe they would be more supportive of of this kind of thing. You know. Uh, I think a lot of people, a lot of fans assume that these fighters are, are are like maybe not super wealthy like an NFL or an NBA or a boxer that's that's been a, a known quantity on television and things like that. But at least they're comfortable, you know. But a lot of these guys, most of these guys are broke as shit, like, you know, to be honest. So, yeah, I think um, fighters kind of being very honest about um, their treatment and about their pay and about, you know, uh, why they didn't fight a certain guy, or why, or how they ended up fighting another guy? Maybe Joe Silva had kind of, you know, used some of the tactics that he admitted to uh, in in the evidence that the, the court uh, in the court findings. So, yeah, maybe uh, you know um, the kind of the silence has kept the UFC uh, kind of protected from this kind of thing, this kind of you know public uh, lawsuit and successful kind of. Uh, rulings uh, bec- because of this silence so maybe you know maybe it's time for fighters to start talking indeed you can under like ex-fighters I think especially like it'd be very tough now for you know I mentioned Lo- Joe Lozon or someone like that but maybe not even necessarily him like it's tough for the younger fighters to speak out about anything like this because they don't want their opportunity to go either like and you I, I don't think you can blame them for that but then like the problem with it then is when someone like say Kung Lee talks or let, you know let's say any of the ex-Irish fighters or you know name retired fighter one two three four and five People probably saying, ah, well, you know, why didn't you say it at the time? You're just another disgruntled ex-fighter, you know, and all it is. But, like, you don't see disgruntled ex-fucking Liverpool players or Man United players. <laughs> like, you know, that's just not a thing. They're disgruntled because they should be disgruntled because they didn't get paid fucking enough. And that, they, you know, they were used, abused, and fucking thrown out, you know... To the the profit of of Dana White and 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 the other people involved in Zufa, it's you know and we and we talk about this all the time. You know every every time myself and Harry do a speaker's corner, it always comes down to oh well, fighter pay, and we almost have to like leave it to the side to have a discussion about MMA because it impacts absolutely everything. Like if you think about right MMA, like the the. Uh, I suppose the disjointed nature of MMA It's all down to like fighter pay It really is all down to it Like It's its very tough as well Even when you get to the UFC For your first good amount of fights To actually change much To become a more professional fighter Because the amount of tax you're paying On the money you get Is not going to leave you with much so you like let let's say let's say look uh, Kane and Ocon or Reese McKee. Let's say they wanted to go to America, right? If th- if they get three fights into the UFC, what's that like? They start off at fucking twelve and twelve or whatever. It be let's say at sixteen and sixteen by the end of it. 
that's still not that much money. Like. And what, what happens if you go over to America to train, do your camp over there, and then three weeks out you get injured or your opponent gets injured and they don't find a replacement yeah. and then you don't get paid at all? You're fucked, like, yeah. that, That's not right, Like you know what I mean? No, it's it's really not. And all, and all these things add up. And like every fighter probably has a story like that. Like even if you're sitting at home and, you know, above in Belfast or over in Liverpool or wherever it might be, and you're signed up for a fight and you get injured. Like, you see so many people. I actually was talking to a, a manager of a fighter there last night, and they were like, don't be too hard on my guy. Uh, after losing this last weekend, he came in, I think he did like a torn labrum, and he's like, he had the fight, he needed the money. Yeah, exactly. Even if you are injured, you can't afford to pull out because you've put in all this money, you've put in all this effort, and you don't know when you're going to get to fight again because you basically have no control. They just kind of move you around like pawns and you got to kind of obey or you're going to make them mad. And, that, you know, people like Irish guys, like, you know, Neil Siri working in a warehouse. Like we made that UFC Dublin preparation video when he's about to fight in a huge show and he's working in a warehouse. You know, he's you can go back and watch that video and Neil Siri prepares for Phil Harris at UFC Dublin. Like, that shouldn't be like you know uh, people you see champions driving as uber drivers uh, a couple of years ago and things like that while fighting in the uc like this just is something's wrong here like and if people don't think something's wrong then i, I think something might be wrong with them yeah I, and I, you know if, if if dana if dana was on the other side of this and boxing promoters or another promotion were doing this he wouldn't shut up he'd be talking 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 about these scumbags these scumbags you know he would like, like you know, Dana's able to win people over. He's he's able to you know make deals. He's able to build a promote. He did like he's done a great job. He's a huge figure in the history of MMA. But like anybody who's trying to claim that Dana White wouldn't be arguing that this is a disgrace what has happened to these guys if he was on the other side of it or if it was a rival promotion or a rival sport, you know he would. A hundred percent. And I think the thing is, like, don't get it twisted. Like you're not saying every fighter in the UFC should be on this massive money or anything like that but at least give them a guarantee at least give fighters who have been there for like let's say more than five or ten fights or whatever it might be let's give them something a little bit additional let's give them an actual contract let's make them actual employees so they maybe have healthcare they have something long term like let's what about if the fighters more there more than 20 fights something let's let's give them a pension plan or something like that so they can actually retire like all like, of yeah, these you have, you have these you have these like these guys who are like you know main event in cards and you know well known guys for a lot of years that are still fighting now and things like that and even those guys now are are like begging for 50 grand bonus yes. a 60 yeah. grand bonus yeah. like what does that say like you know what does that tell you 100%. you see like lebron james or even like you know some random some random like player for any any american sports or soccer team ever get like you know ever be kind of begging on the pitch for like a 50 grand bonus or things like that that's how tight the guy Here, the guy is here's the thing right i was watching uh there's a new Newcastle United documentary came out uh, on uh, on the streaming service and I was watching it with the missus yesterday and they made this thing about Sean Longstaff right who was there before the Saudis took over and all that right so and uh, she goes to me how much do you think he's on a week and I didn't know the answer what, what, um, I haven't even looked up the answer but what, what did you think Graham what would you think Sean now, Longstaff would be before on before the Saudis came along yeah but like I don't think he got a new contract but even even then okay. like you know remember Man United were trying to buy him and stuff like that and I didn't uh, I'd say 20 grand a week I, I, Yeah maybe I, I would say maybe Possibly even a little bit more Right like Can you imagine that Right There's this middle of the road Premier League player Who like At one stage Like I think he might have Got a better contract around him So I think he could be on f Even 50 grand a week Like let's say something around that Right Imagine They're on that amount of money And like 
some really, really good UFC fighters or MMA fighters, whatever you want to call them, are not nearly on that for yeah, one fight. I just looked fight. it up. It says Sean Longstaff signed a three-year, £7.8 million contract with Newcastle FC, including an annual average salary of £2.6 million. Right, so get your calculator out. What's two point six million divided by uh, <laughs> divided by fifty two there? But anyway, it's, I, uh, what what is that? I don't know. That's two point six million. Hold on, I'll do it now while you talk. Go on, go on. It's uh, and the point of this is right. It's like why can't fighters be looked after long longer term? And I, I'll say it again, Graham. Like okay, if a fighter comes in. And they, you know, they're all, they lose three fights or whatever and they're gone. No problem. Like, I'm not saying everyone ever, you have to put every bit of money, you have to look after someone for the rest of their life because they they fought for you for a wet weekend. I'm not saying that at all, right? But uh, what I would say for that, give them a minimum. Like, give them a, a minimum of two fights or give them a minimum of four fights. So no matter what they, um, what they do, they know they're going to have... 40 grand or 46 grand or even if they lose all those yeah. four fights well, uh, you know Sean uh, Sean Longstaff actually looks up 50 grand exactly. oh, that was a good guess by me I got it right yeah and like why why can that happen and it can't happen in MMA is a question I would with, with the prospect of, of that being a lot more if, yeah. you, if you make yourself a, an important player for 100%. the team like, and like even like in MMA right even if you do make yourself the best fighter in the world or anything like that. You're the lo- high likelihood is right. You're not going to get John Jones money. You're not going to get Conor McGregor money. The, like the high likelihood is you get something where you're on like 500 grand for a championship fight. Right. That is best case scenario for you. Like best case scenario for you is you get 500 grand and maybe you do it twice. Maybe you do it three times, but like, is that enough for, and uh, you know, if you get 2 million in your career, for a fighter who has put in years and years and years and parts of themselves and their body yeah. and their brain, and somebody who enough? would be also, you know, a household name. A lot of these guys would be well known. You know, maybe not a household name, but in sports fans, even people who aren't MMA fans would know a lot of these guys' names and would be shocked to see uh, their earnings throughout their UFC career. Yeah, absolutely. And you you see it like you see it with people. Uh, who see the pay packets and get shocked by it? I always saw as well, like uh, with the the wrestling. Do you know the wrestlers like have to? Uh, so if you're a wrestler, the WWE. So if you're wrestling in New York tonight and you have another show in fucking LA tomorrow, you have to organize your own travel and pay for your own travel and everything like that. And I saw someone being asked about that at one time, and uh, they were like completely. Sh- I think it was Bailey the wrestler, like completely shocked. That, that was happening I like it's it's not necessarily the same in terms of travel for the UFC but in terms of people being shocked at how they're treated and how they're paid it's it's ridiculous it's absolutely ridiculous but anyway we'll move on um that was an interesting discussion Graham. It's good I, I think I think we uh we need to have more discussions like that because it's very very important and Harry'd probably be giving out now we so we stole our speaker's corner there but anyway we, we do um let's talk about James Gallagher I think he was probably uh, maybe the biggest star this weekend in the world of mixed martial arts. He came back. Um, do you think he won, Graham? What did you think? What do you think of the decision on this one? Yeah, Jesus, I don't know. That's that's it's just a hard one to know. Like, uh, I think I think it all came down to, to the second round where, um, you know, James was on top but didn't really throw much, and his opponent was on bottom but was throwing kind of rabbit punches. Nothing really dangerous, but um, 
you know, nothing that impactful, but a, a lot more than James drew. Like if if James had of, you know, he did a couple of times land. Like you know, obviously the force and the ability to land is 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 better from the top. But if he had of you know had a couple of more flurries or a couple a couple of more big shots, then it would have been you know that was definitely his round. But the way it went, yeah, I think I was expecting it to be like. Um, I was expecting it to be at least a split decision, if not a- against James, to be honest. I thought that round he probably lost on the new rules. And, it, you know, if maybe uh, maybe you could go back and there was a one big shot from James that was missed or something, that would probably be enough. But from the first watch, I think, you know, that second round, I think he probably lost it and lost the fight due to that. Yeah, I, it's an interesting one because it's funny. Only a few weeks ago, we spoke about... Gravity, you know, and Big John mentioned this on uh, on the commentary, like uh, which uh, may, should make me look like an absolute genius. <laughs> I was there, I was there first, but it's a thing that kind of came over from the old criteria, like shots from the top are going to score higher than shots from the bottom if they're of a similar shot, right? So let, if someone absolutely bangs you with an elbow from the bottom and cuts you open, now that's different. But if there's like a one punch and an equivalent punch from the bottom. The one from the top is going to, uh, you know, logically score more. And I think that's what got James over the line uh, in the second round. But I agree, like, if James had done in the second round what he did in the first round, I don't think there'd be any question about it because he would landed some really good ground and pound and some good stuff from him there. Uh, but it, with that said as well, I thought it was very close. Like, Gonzalez didn't really do anything massive from the bottom in the second round. Like, I probably would have scored it for Gonzalez 29-28 as well. But really, I, 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 sent, I, I sent it to a, a, a judge uh, and... Uh, I was like, here, don't don't look at the don't look at the results of this. Score me that, and they scored a twenty nine twenty eight Gonzalez. So I'm like, well, okay, and it, it's an interesting one as well because I I put it in the group. I was like, right, there's American judges here. The top control is going to win this, and and it did <laughs> in the end. I feel like if this was in cage wires or this was in the UK or somewhere, we had UK judges, it might be a little bit different. But with that said, I look, this definitely wasn't a robbery or a bad decision or anything like that. You know, it was a, a hotly, closely contested second round where really a lot didn't happen. Now, if people didn't see the fight. The first round, well, the first thing that happened was James came out and got rocked with a big shot immediately, but did so well to clinch up, take him down, and get that round back. And I, uh, I was, I was skeptical. Like midway through, he's like, "Oh God, it's going to take an awful lot here." But James upped the pace and landed a load of big ground around. It was very, very good stuff from James. Like this, this is a great round to show you how you can win a round with top control. It was absolutely brilliant. Landed a lot uh, of shots there in the second round. Again, James got the takedown. Was had over four minutes of top control. I believe but didn't really land much Gonzalez landed a bit from the bottom as I said very very close not uh, not one of those rounds you complain about or anything like that and then in the third round James got the takedown early again after a bit of a back and forth in the field which Gonzalez was probably ahead with but James did get the takedown secured it didn't really do much of it and then Gonzalez swept him midway through it landed a good bit of ground and pound wasn't close to a 10-8 or anything like that but um, look James definitely won the first Gonzalez definitely won the third and they all came down to that second round um, on the, overall for James it's absolutely great to see him back in there you know a couple of years out he kept talking about you know his life if people knew what was going on in the background they'd think a lot differently of him and you know uh, 
you can take from that now from what you will, but it's it's definitely been a, a really tough time for James. If you just look at it even from the MMA side of it, he left Ireland to go and pursue a new gym uh, with, with James Krause, and then James Krause goes up in smoke, and then he's like, what do I do? He was back in Ireland for a while, and then he went back to America, and like, where is he training then? And then he goes to Thailand. It's like, oh, Jesus Christ, like, that that cannot be good for someone to come in. Yeah, and, you can see it. In. You can see it in his performance that he you wasn't could, yeah. sharp. He wasn't, like, he didn't look like he was an active fighter. Like, we, we, when he, he didn't look the same as when he when he was active and you know he straight away he said that himself like he was like basically saying like shy performance all this stuff but you know you get the win you get the kind of rust off you know uh maybe some people dispute it some people whatever say you lost or whatever it doesn't really matter it goes on the record uh you move on and you know you can kind of put the put a couple of years to kind of kind of draw a line under that and say okay i'm i'm on a winning streak again here and i'm you know, I'm kind of rebuilding. I'm starting again. And as he would say, the Jimmy show is back. A hundred percent. I think they should turn him around with seven weeks, I think, or six weeks now till this Ireland card. I, I think he's been out for long enough. He's been preparing for long enough. It's time to switch, turn things around now and get James another fight. Kai Kamaka was supposed yeah, to there must be, like I actually don't know what the reason is, but there must yeah. be a reason why James Gallagher hasn't uh, in know. Ireland. Yeah. In Ireland, he's been kind of moved away. What's going on there? Bellator? <laughs> Is it just Bellator going to Bellator? Or, I'd or? say so, yeah. It's, it's just Bellator are Bellator, like, you know? That's that's just the way they operate. Yeah, they're just... You know, you never know. <laughs> you never, you just never know with Bellador. Like, you never know what what you're going to get from. Him. And I think that's exactly it here with this one. Uh, but like, and I, like I'm saying this as well. Like, I don't think that they will turn him around. Again, like, he is called for it. I know. Um, so Kaika Maka called for it as well on Twitter, and Leandro Higo called for it as well. Like. I still think it's probably not going to happen. I, uh, there's plenty of room for James on that card as well. It's not exactly like it's an absolute blowaway of a card or anything. Like there's a fight, who is it? Mad, Mads Burnell against Daniel Weichel, which is a good fight, right? But that's on the main card. Let's move that to the prelims and let's put James versus Kaika Mack on the main card. Boom. It's it's way better of a card in you like that should be I think that should be a no brainer but anyway I suppose that's looking forward but looking back look Jim as he said he winners win he went in there and he got the win and that's all that matters I I there was parts of it look he looked rusty but I thought his wrestling looked very good his wrestling is always good he always obviously looked good in the ground and if he can do what he did in that first round in terms of the ground and pound added to his unbelievable jiu-jitsu game like Gonzalez I think is a jiu-jitsu uh, is it a brown belt or a black belt with uh, under Matt Serra so he's got, you know he's going to be very good and hard to submit um, so the ground bound is something that if James can add it to his game it's a big part of it the striking look obviously he got caught early and that's going to make you a little bit um, uh, you know to think think about it twice maybe when you're striking again we didn't see too much striking from James you know what I liked here about him he, he like he looked and this is a weird thing to say even though he got cracked at the very start but from then on he looked a bit defensively better and he looked like he was taking his time there was one part as well where he kind of jumped into range and went immediately for a takedown I was like okay that's fucking smart you know you're putting yourself into a position where you're not actually going to hit Kiefer I think in his corner had say like you're either all the way in grappling or you're on the outside and the second like Kiefer started shouting that James basically you know did that and that's a good sign that you can kind of listen to your team some guys their team will be shouting over and over and over and over again and they won't do it so I think like you know uh, that was that's a good sign that he's you know he's dialed into it to what his team is telling him yeah 100% and um, 
yeah, it's onwards and upwards now for James. Hopefully he can stay fit. The 145 thing will hopefully help him stay fit as well. I, I'm always a little bit sceptical when the guys, they don't seem that big. You know, they go back up and weight or like James will go up and weight. Uh, we, we'll see how that works out. He was bigger than Gonzalez, so it didn't really play much into this one, but we'll see how it works out for him. Hopefully he gets turned around here pretty quickly. Um, elsewhere on this Bellator card I suppose we might as well go through this um, Alfie Davis got a good win Leandro Higo as I mentioned earlier on beating uh, Nikita Mikhailov uh, Vladimir Tokov got a unanimous decision win as did Barzola against Jalen Bates Justin Kish beat uh, Askarova who's a, a, a good prospect coming through there and Sydney Outlaw out wrestled Islam Mehmedov I think a lot of people were shocked by that there was a few maybe you know a lot of actually underdogs on this uh, who got wins Aaron Jeffrey beat Dalton as well and took away his undefeated record uh, Moldovsky beat uh, Steve Mowry who um, you know kind of shat the bed in that one it wasn't a great uh, performance from Mowry at all and then in the main event uh, Logan Storley I suppose kind of did what Logan Storley does and uh, and beat Brennan Ward I don't know if you saw this Graham I think this was another bit of an early stoppage uh, wasn't too bad but there was, there was one in the UFC as well we'll get to it but there's, this seems to be a new thing now where we've we've a lot of like lads just like not getting the opportunity. This one wasn't too bad now. I, w- I won't give out too much about this one, but yeah, I I don't know. Especially you're in the main event, you're a big fight. This could be a number one contender bout for Brendan Ward, like, and you know, I'm not giving. I don't know if it's just me, but it seems like it's like contagious between judges. If, like they start happening like right. little kind of groups or something. I don't know what's going on. Yeah, it definitely, uh, definitely does seem a bit like that. All right, all right. Let's uh, let's move on. And talk about the USC Graham. Um, not really much to talk about here. <laughs> I think stand out to you. It feel like I was watching this right, and I missed the first few prelims. Uh, I saw Anthony Joshua's box, and I switched over to that. Um, you know, switch back, watch all the main cards, and I'm like, did I really see anything that mattered that much? And not to be negative about it or anything, because like we're 48 minutes into the podcast before we even talk about this, but yeah, it was all right. There was a couple of good fights. There was a lot of good finishes, but like at the end of the day, just another random run-of-the-mill UFC card that uh, they showed us. Any, any thoughts on it, Graham? Yeah, I think it's a lack of jeopardy. I think we were like broken records on some of these, some of these cards, but there's just not, not that much jeopardy. It doesn't really matter uh, who, who wins or loses in terms of you know, uh, shaking up the divisions and things like that. Obviously, it matters for the fighters getting getting their win bonus and all that. And you know, uh, the Cup Swanson fight is probably the the, the main talking point, the decision. Um, for me, I thought uh, I thought Cub lost the second round, which would have lost him the fight. Maybe that late kind of flurry at the very end of the round, uh, which was decent, but for me, didn't do enough to to overturn. Uh, what I was already thinking, so uh, maybe that's what swung it. So yeah, it was it was a close round. It wasn't, you know, a robbery or anything like that. But yeah, yeah you you got to feel for these for these guys. Like even Cub Swanson was clapping for uh, Dawida. Is that Dawadu? Is that his name? Dawadu. Yeah, Dawadu. What Sorry, about the third round? What, what you didn't get a third round? Yeah, um, I think. Um. I'm just trying to think what happened in the third round. The third round was I the think. one that was like relatively even on the feet and then Cub got a takedown with like 45 seconds to go, maybe a little bit longer. No, a little bit longer than that. And uh, he landed a bit of ground upon, not too much. 
Uh, yeah, yeah. I, I can't remember um, any big strikes against Watson. So probably, you know, getting on top and landing the odd shot and it being pretty much even on the, uh, like nothing really standing out on the on the feet before that, it's probably enough to win it. But, you know, uh, like I think there's more of a, an argument against Watson on that round and enforce Watson on the second round, to be honest. Honestly, this is the type of fight that... I, do you know what I'm just glad? I'm just glad that a couple of the judges gave the first round to Cub Swanson. Because, like, I definitely think he won the first round. Like, I, That's the, the strongest I feel about this, right? Uh, and uh, Ron McCarthy and Jacob Maltalvo didn't give it to him. Uh, didn't give it to him, sorry. Sal De Amato uh, didn't have great respect for Sal. But, it, it, you know, it was a close round. But it was one of those rounds, right, where there was a lot of maybe control against the cage and everything like that. But Cub was hitting him with body shot after body shot. Like, Cub was landing the most impactful shots without like to me without a shadow of a doubt and he fought like a very judging smart type of fight i hear earlier i thought and actually throughout the whole fight like i really thought cub came to compete and he looked more powerful than he'd ever looked before as well his body shape was a little bit different i really thought that helped him here like here, here's how I th- uh, thought of it. I thought Cub won the first round, and I thought it was like, I wouldn't say it, it was a very close round. There's no doubt about it. Very close, but uh, I just think Cub landed the bigger shots. I think uh, it's hard to argue. I, 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 I think I'd have to go back and watch that first round because them body shots didn't even register as anything big for me. They I think were they just should though, like, like compared to what uh, Dawudu landed. Like what was Dawudu landing? Like, they weren't. You, you know, you see vicious body shots, and you see kind of body shots up against the cage just for kind of you know not yeah, be, but we, to we're, not be we're doing not, anything. We're not talking about a shot, uh, a fight that had big vicious shots, especially not the first round like those shots are more impactful to me than like uh, most other uh, shots that happened in it but even if you leave that aside he was landing some good shots too he's landing some nice hooks and some nice uh, like right hands down through the middle endings like that i do landed some nice stuff as well but he landed the harder stuff on the uh, the first round i don't i don't i thought it was I thought it was definitely I'll go back and look at those body shots but yeah I don't know and it's not not all the body shots I'm putting it down to as well but I just think they should be scored like I I think they were good I wasn't watching it with a judging eye you know I wasn't like completely dialed in watching like that but uh, I kind of had siphoned that off as as uh, you know you kind of just like move on to the next round and kind of have yeah. that in, in the I, your score and then I didn't I, really think it was uh, maybe I need to go back and watch that round uh, the way Cobb was fighting in the first two minutes had me dialed in I was like oh okay, okay hold on this is a fight that they're talking about in the commentary and we know the way Cobb has fought down through the years that this is going to be a fight that people you know because Cobb is kind of known I remember even I, I was actually on a podcast with him years ago I think it was MMA uh Tap out radio, maybe, or something like that, or MMA Sentinel with Crooklyn back in the day. And he said himself, I remember on that, like, it was like 10 years ago, 12 years ago. He's like, Oh, I don't hit really hard. And I never really thought about it before that, but then I, I feel like that has kind of become a thing. But he was hitting, I really thought he was hitting hard last night, to be honest. Now, having said that, right, that's the first round. The second round, I think most people agree he lost. Like, Sal Diamato didn't agree with that as well. And I, you know, I, I, that's the one round I would say, Oh, that's, that doesn't look great. But anyway, two of the three judges gave him that. And in the third, all three judges gave it to him. I actually, I, I had it one-one going into the third, as you can probably guess. The third was so close. Like I thought, I thought Cub was just behind when he got the takedown. I'm thinking like, okay, Cub land ten shots here, and you've won the round, and you've won the fight. Pretty like pretty. You make it easy for the Orlando one good shot yeah. and secure the round yeah. and, and leave no doubt. 
I don't think he, he landed a couple, right? He landed, and maybe that was enough. I, at the end of it, I was like, I really don't know who won this. Like, and people calling robbery. Like, I, I, this is as far from a robbery as you could fucking find. It was, is there a, well, is I there think a when the reaction of Cub Swanson is like, you know, uh, they're kind of like pubs? defeated loser t- clapping as the the, 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 the scores are being read and looking in shock. Adds to the kind of disbel- or adds well, what's to the that got to do with it? We just watched the fight for fifteen no, I know, minutes. But that's people, people, people's reaction. I'm talking about on like social media and things. Yeah, like but that. people are fucking idiots. Like, uh, what, what did you say to me there the other day? Like, forty percent of people don't have an internal dialogue. Is that what you said? No, I said I said that some. Uh, I heard that forty percent of people. So I don't know what survey this was, but I heard somebody reference it that uh, said they didn't like self-reported that they didn't have like an internal dialogue. That's I don't mad, know. Like, maybe and- maybe they don't understand what internal dialogue. Means and they, and they do have it, but that would also, that that would also be worrying <laughs> if they if they didn't know what internal dialogue meant. I, I'm actually looking here as well in MMA uh, decisions, and you know they have the nicknames and they have mean Hakim Dawadu. They have no nickname for for Kevin Swanson. I'm like, oh, excuse me, <laughs> like, yeah, excuse Swanson. me, but uh, yeah, look. This was, I thought, first round definitely Cub, second round definitely Tawadu, and the third round, like literally the most toss of a kind round you could possibly get. Like, it's funny, this one and the Gallagher one are kind of similar in that, like, you're two clear enough rounds, in my opinion, and then one kind of a toss of a kind one. Well, so, not the, the Ryan Shelley, yeah. remember that fight? That was like, um, yeah. he ended up getting the decision, and there was a lot of controversy because he'd landed from his back, but kind of reminded me of that one, but I think he actually, Shelley had actually thrown a bit more, a few more elbows, a few more kind of, he'd been a little bit more, um, less yeah. kind of pity party, less Chael Sonnen-y in his, uh, in his ground and pound shots. Yeah, indeed, indeed. Um, so yeah, other than that, on that card, uh, Luke and Asanya stepped on a very, uh, grueling fight. Um, it was, you know, interesting, Luke kind of, once he started winning the wrestling and clinch battle, it was kind of done from there, I think. Uh, and he got a very good performance out of him, a guy who had a brain bleed last year and had to be cleared to fight again, fair play. Dos Anjos, I, I think they mentioned in the commentary as well, like he's kind of stuck between 155 and 170. And this was a fight that really showed like against a guy I don't think is as skilled as him, but it's just the the power and the size of him he just couldn't maneuver him around like he would guys at 170 so um yeah, I think yeah I've, I've said it for years now i think they should make 155 165 and 175 uh you know the weight classes i think there's a lot of guys who would immediately jump to that to that weight class yeah, probably. They probably would be all right. Um, but yeah, other than that, uh, Kelly Roundtree looked very good. Um, good kind of comeback win for Lucinda there. Uh, Terence McKinney got a lovely uh, a knockout. Uh, There's a nice Kimura from Martin Bode. Uh, and there was a... a Two things stood out. The man Blackshear got a lovely twister. We, it's only what the third in UFC history, and then uh, Jacqueline Amarim. She looked really, really, really good here. Moving on to seven and one, I think she kind of came into the UFC and had uh, a bad performance, but she looked fantastic here. Uh, Isaac uh, Dolgarian as well. He's only six and zero. Oh. He's like a, a two-time state champion wrestler or something like that. His wrestling looks absolutely legit. Do you know one thing I would say as well? I, I like the fact that they're putting the likes of Amory and the likes of Dolgarian on this like good up and comers like Bellator have kind of done a lot of that and I, I love to see that but there's and I said it last week as well there's so many mismatches now in the UFC like so many mismatches it's crazy and I, I wonder 
I wonder, is it a ploy from them? Uh, and actually, if it was a ploy, I would actually criticise it less because maybe you need that with the whole Dana White Contender Series uh, stuff that's going on at the moment because um, you're bringing people in. Like, like look at uh, Dalgarian there. He's 6-0, so he came in with five fights uh, under him before he came into the UFC. Like, that's not enough fights to come into the UFC if they are putting him in there against people who they think will they can actually absolutely trash maybe that's not necessarily a bad thing to build them up and then move them forward slowly and slowly and slowly. So, you know, it doesn't look good on a UFC card, you know, but UFC cards aren't... You, you, you know what would have made anymore. that card way better? That UFC card. Roberto Saldich, someone? Paul, Paul Hughes. Paul Hughes, yeah, he would have. He would have. How is Paul Hughes not signed yet? Oh, I don't know. Morgan Charrier uh, signed for the UFC Paris card anyway. Yeah, but that makes sense. Like, come on. Yeah, but so does, like, UFC London for an Irish fighter is, uh, you know, what, 20, 30, 40 euro by an air flight. Like, you know, I, I agree. Did. Like, the the thing about this here, though, like, yeah, we all yeah, agree I think the UK scene are excited about, anybody who watches Cage Warriors is excited about Massive, Paul Hughes. Like, 100%. So, it's not just an Irish thing, you know. Oh, I no, think, no, like, no. But this... People who are like Kaposa would tell you, like, if you asked them about Paul Hughes, like, you know, people who are big into MMA are excited about this guy. That would, yeah, Luke Thomas. He would have he, he made this card way better. A hundred percent. A hundred percent. The only thing I'm giving out, like, I've, no one's beating the drum harder for Paul Hughes than me. Everyone knows that, but the people get mad about, oh, can't believe Sharia was signed before Hughes. Like, Sharia signed because it's in fucking France. And, like, if this but, is like, in Dublin, look, it'd look, be Paul Hughes getting signed, you know? But like we're talking about for years, Ian Gary and Paul Hughes, who's the better prospect? Who's the better prospect? And like, you know, look how well Ian Gary's doing. You know, we're going to talk about him shortly. And, uh, you know, Paul Hughes has just been left behind. And uh, I don't know. Yeah, it's just, it's it, for him watching all these random contender series guys get signed and all these random guys fight and nobody cares about and all these, these guys that we're talking about here every few weeks, you know, uh, it's, it's, puzzling i don't know what's going on there that like he definitely deserves to be in the ufc and i think anybody that's followed him would would agree i think he needs to get a fight though like he needs to take a fight uh whether it's he shouldn't have to he shouldn't have to but but the longer it goes like you know he can't leave this uh i I also think now we need to start recalibrating what we say about the contender series because before it was like and and i think this was kind of the brendan lachnan thing oh if you don't put on uh, uh, you know, if you don't get a finish, or if you just go in there and dominate, then you're not going to. But even if you put on the most boring heavyweight fight of all time, yeah. you get signed. Now everyone's getting signed. So oh, he was like, ah, oh, he was an underdog, <laughs> even though the fight yeah. was terrible. Like, get over here, big guy. <laughs> yeah, so I, I think it's, I think it's a better option now, really. And I think if Paul Hughes probably had his time again, or if it was now, I think he probably would take that. So maybe even if he's offered now, maybe he will take it, and uh, we'll see how it goes on that. Um, you mentioned next week we'll get we'll get to well, DLC no, no, before you go on, on we need to we need to talk about uh, the the biggest news of of the the night in MMA yeah. last night. What? Sean Sheehan's torment the, the the tormentor and biggest hater of of Daniel Cormier Sean Sheehan got a got a response from his rival finally rival? on social media publicly. Uh, yeah, one of which was deleted. <laughs> he did, what, he, what was deleted? He responded three times to the same tweet. <laughs> I'm like, okay, Daniel, hello. Uh, he he was like, oh, if you uh, if you think it's so easy, you could do the job yourself or something like that. It's funny though. The the tweet he responded to was probably the nicest tweet I've seen about. <laughs> Five years. I was literally just making a joke, like I, I put smiley faces and all in it. It was uh, like I wasn't even really criticizing him. It just looked a bit funny, like you know. So, yeah, he obviously knew what he had done and fucked up, and that's why he got a. Uh, 
Yeah, got mad about it, but yeah. There's a pretty barnstorming run he made away uh, yeah. from, the, <laughs> absolutely. from the middle of the octagon yeah, of Ireland. Yeah, yeah. He's still nimble. He's still nimble. Yeah, he's like Mo Salah going up the wing or something. Absolutely flying up there. But yeah, yeah, fair play to him. Uh, Cal- Callie Roundtree, though, just to mention him again, he was very good. Like, and I just think, you know, the whole Carmia walking away thing, it looked very disrespectful when Callie Roundtree's just standing there and like the lad interviewing you has just turned your back and turned his back on you and gone. Like, so anyway, doesn't matter. Right, let's move on. Next week, PFL. First of all, Hinan Fahea, Maurice Green, Dennis Golsov, Josh Hederman in the uh, heavyweight bracket, Pacheco Olenek, uh, Martina Makina against Amanda Lybrook. Uh, I would say three of those are like guaranteed wins, uh, possibly. Well, may- maybe not necessarily Fahea Green, but Pacheco's definitely winning, Golsov's definitely winning. Uh, that Lybrook uh, one and Makatina could be interesting. Uh, but yeah, uh, Nate Kelly's on this card as well, Graham. Um, I call him the most improved Irish fighter over the last few fights, and I stick by that. Um, I, I'll be doing a preview for this card, so I'll be looking into his opponent, Damon Nelson. But from Nate Kelly, I remember watching some of his fights um, when he got to the uh, on the Bellator two seven five card, and um, I, I, I watched the Shimrock fight. I think live possibly because there was a bit of talk about that. And I like I was like, oh Jesus, Scott Peterson's a good opponent here. And he went in and he won that. And then he won a fight in Centurion. And I think, okay, maybe the things are changing. And like I think his last three or four performances have really shown that from he lost these first two fights. And anyone who loses their first two fights, but I watched a few of his amateur fights as well doing research and I'm like, oh, yeah. I don't know, well, there he, might be issues. He lost here. the first two fights and then he went in there against Mark Andrew, who yeah. had kind of had a similar start to his career, but is also a really good fighter. So, yeah. you know, he didn't shy away. He didn't immediately try to like fight a guy who's one in 50 or something. So, yeah. you know, he's been winning, winning ever since. That's five years now. And, you know, uh, it's important, you know, it's a, that, that Mark Andrew fight was an important turning point. We talk about it all the time. You need to get that momentum going, and he really has. And, you know, he's uh, gradually kind of, you know, uh, improved in uh, his opponents uh, have, have been, like, you know, more experienced or uh, a few more fights on the record, and he's kind of gradually building it, and it's, it's the way to do it. And now when you're kind of more experienced yourself and you're more comfortable in these situations and you've been in big shows and it's not a, it's not a shock to your system, then you can kind of step up and kind of you know uh maybe if you've been flying under the radar like he has you can grab people's attention so you know i expect him to go out there and put on a great performance here and win and i'm looking forward to see what they're doing him next but uh obviously he's got to get this fight done but yeah i think as you said he's improved so much and i expect him to look improved again here and i think he's going to go out and probably finish or uh win a dominant decision yeah he's won seven in a row now and like the clear obvious improvements he's made in those fights have been insane like from a guy I was watching I'm thinking like well you know he's Irish I don't want to say anything too bad about him you know but I'm not you know I'm not convinced to know if I don't think like well this guy is really good it's mad like and that's why I even call him one of the most improved fighters in Ireland very very good and look what he's going to do is he's probably if he wins here on uh, what day is it on Wednesday Thursday uh, he'll probably be on the Irish card I would say uh, in December for PFL Europe and then uh Hopefully he'll be in the, one of the tournaments next year. So that'd be absolutely massive if he could get into that. And like as yeah. with Bellator though and PFL as well, like we don't know what's going to happen. Like our PFL buying Bellator, like what's going on? Scott Coker said they're doing a few more cards. So I suppose that's a discussion for another day. But I think a lot of these lads are maybe kind of uh, in uh, an in-between period at the moment. Like whether you're in BFL or whether you're in Bellator, like what's going to actually happen next? So I suppose we'll wait and uh, and see on that one. Just, no, just another thing on Nathan Kelly before we go. 
know, like if if people haven't looked back at his amateur record, he has like you know, win over Jack McGuire, Kieran Clark, Own Drum Ghoul, some very good guys. You know, he was at the IMAF World Championships, uh, lost a decision to uh, Yusef or Yusaf. Uh, you know, he's beaten Ian Cleary. He fought Ricky Spullen in his third ever. Like this guy is experienced more than than you think, and you know the guy he lost to. Uh, Two in the finals of the IMAFs, I believe it was, was ten and three pro MMA record here. So all this will stand him in good stead. And as you said, he's he's improving fight to fight. He's got experience. He he's fought multiple times in in a week and things like that. So he's kind of done it all already. And now he's, as you said, he's on a seven fight win streak. He's he's really in a good position here as long as he keeps winning. And you know, he, the sky's the limit, really. Yeah, hundred percent. Can't wait for that one. Um, KSW 85 then they have two title fights on that Saladin Parnas against Robert Rukhala. Um Parnas very interesting going back down to 145 he was due to fight at 155 only what what was it six or seven weeks ago interesting to see how that happens it should be a fun fight Rukhala is a good fighter um, then the, as I said the 205 title as well 10-0 uh, Bogdan uh, Gudinko who is very exciting against a different sort of fighter in Ibrahim uh, Shizugayev who kind of very much stand in the middle and wait for that big shot away for that big takedown um i have a preview for that coming out so there is uh there's some good people on the undercard as well and i'm sure sean Neeney will have his preview as well this week for that one but it's the the big card coming up next week um is uh ufc there's also the contender series is back i i, I didn't catch it last week uh but george hardwick is headlining this week, which is massive for him. I know some people were giving out about this, and I agree he should have been straight into the UFC, but the lightweight division is just so packed, and they do want people going into the Contender Series. But uh, if people don't know him, uh, definitely tune in for uh, for Josh Hardwick. Imre Samnez is on this as well, who I've watched fighting uh, a good few times in uh, in in different places. He's fought on uh, he's fought on Cage Wars, and where else is he fought? And like Bamar somewhere back in the day. But yeah, he's a good fighter. Uh, he's a good fighter as well, and definitely one to keep an eye on in in that one as well. So the Contender Series is back there. Uh, UFC two nine. Two then Graham uh, Ian Gary He's fighting Neil Magny He was obviously supposed to fight Jeff Neal Jeff Neal pulled out uh, There was a bit of controversy about that Even about the video and stuff that got released um, And it was more Ian's manager than Ian himself And I would tend to agree with those people Who were giving out about Ian's manager I'm like, ugh You're supposed to be looking out for the fighters here And you're calling them pussies or whatever It's like, okay, you know Another one of these people Are you okay, grand uh, And it's Gary V's company as well Which Gary V's an absolute fucking bullshit artist So there you go now But hopefully Ian Gary can stay out of that bullshit And uh, fight well here against Neil Magny It's a very interesting fight uh, It's a, And a very different test, I think, to Jeff Neal Like Jeff Neal more of like um, stand in the middle throw his big shots you can kind of if you're in Gary you can kind of maneuver around him and jab him up and land your shots and avoid the power and that's kind of it it's a very simplistic matchup I would think not a simple match but a simplistic matchup I think um, whereas Neil Magny a lot different like Neil can kind of use his lint he can kick from the outside he's good takedowns good against defense but as we've seen as well in the past if you can get up on Neil Magny stop his takedowns you're really on to a winner so that's what Ian Gary needs to do First, first things first is dominate from Lint. Stop him getting inside. Stop the takedowns. And once you do that, I think Ian Gary has a little bit more power, uh, a little bit more technical nous. 
I think the tactical nose is a very interesting one here. I think he'll have to show a very good tactical nose here. We've seen it before from Ian Gary. He's a really good tactical fighter. Uh, even in a few interviews, when, when he used to do interviews with me back in the day, and now that he stopped, it's, it's great. But uh, he, he used to even give away things about like the tactics he would use in fights. Um, your man, uh, the... Um, that big hairy lad that he fought, he said he was going to like jab the nose off him, uh, and he did. Like I mean, <laughs> and he did it. So he had no problem doing that. Um, and I, but I do think he'll have to fight a good tactical fight here. But I do think uh, is is Rashman off the big hairy lad? Is he? Uh, yeah. What was his first name? Uh, is it? Let me No, 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 not Shavkat. Even he didn't fight Shavkat Rachmanov. What are you talking about? Uh, Rasa Machman. Oh, sorry, Machman. sorry. Yeah, yeah sorry. I was uh, looking at Magny's record earlier, Magny, and I got oh, the two yeah, mixed no, up. No. Uh, come here to me. What do you think of this fight? I think, like you know, obviously, uh, the late change in opponents and styles, as you kind of talked about, there isn't ideal. Um, I'd prefer if Ian Gary had a full camp for Neil Magny, and Neil Magny kind of strikes me as the as the guy, a guy who stays fit even when he does very fit, even when he doesn't have a fight lined up. But he's also coming in on short notice, and he hasn't had time to study Gary as maybe as closely as as he would have liked to. So there is that kind of extra kind of factor in there but I think Ian's gonna uh, he's gonna be a contender very soon I think you know I think I expect him to go out there and beat Neil Magny I think you know Neil Magny's obviously been uh, been in there with everybody he's a, he's a tough guy he's kind of He's kind of fought everybody uh, who's who, and he's beaten you know Daniel Rodriguez who to date is, is Ian Gary's um, best win in the UFC so He's definitely no easy fight for anybody, but I think Ian Gary's just too slick, too quick, too too technical. He he understands striking a lot better than Neil Neil Magny does, and distance and timing and things like that. And he's well able to grapple. Obviously, he he doesn't want to end up on his back, and Neil Magny can hold you there and you know make it uncomfortable and land small shots and maybe eke out rounds. But as long as he avoids that and you know plays it smart and has been training like he should be and all that stuff and there's nothing going on that we don't know about injuries and things like that. As long as, you know, everything's good to go, then I think he should have put on a pretty dominant decision win here or maybe get a TKO uh, finish. Indeed, yeah. I'm uh, I'm really looking forward to it. It's a massive test for Ian Gary, but he's uh, he's well able for it and I think he'll, uh, I think he'll get through it. Um, so it's not a bad card other than that. Look, the, the prelims, you know, not amazing, I wouldn't, uh, I wouldn't say, but... Chris Weidman coming back, really looking forward to seeing how he fares against Brad Tavares. Um, Chito Vera against Pedro Munoz is an interesting fight as well, obviously towards the the, uh, the top five or top ten of that division. And then we've the two title fights, Shang Wei against Amanda Lemosh and Aljamain Sterling against um, Sugar Sean O'Malley. I'm actually like, I think I'm more excited about this Sterling O'Malley fight than any UFC have, or title fight in a long time, maybe apart from Jones against Ganya, this to me is such a fucking intriguing fight. Like, and not even like, it's just, do you know what it is? There's been a lot of intriguing tactical fights and technical fights over the last while, but I just think all around, like Sean O'Malley, <laughs> and like I, I'm on the record of maybe not being the biggest fan of Sean O'Malley's shtick, but like Sean O'Malley's sending him like pictures of his dinner, uh, and like saying I had a great set training session this morning. How about you, Aljon? Like, dang, I like that's the sort of old school like Rampage Jackson, John Jones going back and forth type of thing that I absolutely love. I think that's good. I think it's a very 
interesting technical matchup. Like you have the lad in Aljamain Sterling who is probably not getting the flowers that he deserves. And I think with reason, to be fair, and the reason isn't him. The reason is like TJ Dillashaw the fuck shoulder, Henry Cejudo kind of looks shot, the illegal knee, like he had a great win over Yan, and he, I think he is a great fighter, but he needs to beat people like O'Malley, I think, to prove that. And, and he, O'Malley, But even if he does beat O'Malley here, people will probably say, ah, O'Malley, yeah, you know, true. he was all hype all along, we knew it, you know what I mean? That's just how it goes in him. <laughs> yeah, that's true. But then at the other side of it, then, like, you're O'Malley, and you're like, this is the massive opportunity. Like, if he wins, he could you could have a star on your hands. Like you could absolutely have a star on your hands. And uh, can he stop the takedown? Can he stop Aljo getting on his back? Like, can he land the big head kick, the big shot? Like, I don't think O'Malley's necessarily as big a hitter as maybe he or other people make out. And we all know when it gets to this sort of level, that changes very quickly as well. Um, I, I yeah, is he more so kind intrigued. of stylish and, and different than his, his strikes? Or are they actually as impactful? We haven't really... We haven't, that hasn't really been proven, as you're saying, yeah. Well, and like, can he do it against Sterling, who's very good, like, at Lint? And even though maybe he's not, you know, he's not the best striker in the world, he's a good striker, but he's more a very awkward guy to fight against, I think, when you're fighting at Lint. I mean, like, your whole game plan is going to be to beat him at Lint. A very tough thing to do for, for Sterling. Um, yeah, and if he's put on his back for a long period, how's his defensive jiu-jitsu going to look yeah, as well? Like, you know, true. we saw what Justin Gaethje's looked like <laughs> in the Habib fight. So, yeah, um, you never know until you see it, really, don't you? Our guy, Andrew McGahan, says he's good jiu-jitsu, so, you know, we'll, we'll see. We'll see. Um, and then Zhang Weili against Amanda Lemash. Uh, like, Lemash, uh, uh, one thing I thought last night watching the Cub fight and a few other fights as well, Ver- she's a competitor I would say and I like to be a competitor keeps you in fights and wins you fights um, but against Shang Weili I think that's going to be tough um, like if you look at her record like who's the best win on her record you probably say Marina Rodriguez who is a good fighter make no mistake about that but like is that going to be enough to be Zhang Weili what does she offer that the other yeah. people that Wang Li has beaten didn't offer, you know yeah. what I mean? I, I think it's going to be a tough Anything fight. can happen in MMA, but yeah, this is a very tough matchup, I think. Yeah, like, I think... Uh, I, I think if she can come in there and just make it... Make it tough on Zhang Weili. Like, land a few power shots inside. Don't... Uh, like, the worst thing you can do against Zhang Weili, in my opinion, is, like, allow her to get into her rhythm. Yeah, take you her know, out of her game plan as soon as you can. Yeah, yeah, even if it's, you know, she's not exactly the, the biggest submission artist to take her down, but push her against the cage. Like, even if you're not going to take her down, but the, if you can't take her down, take her down. But then, even on the feet, like, just throw that leg kick and get away and have nothing happen for half a round and land your big shot and frustrate her, take her out of her game plan. Don't let that kind of cadence go. Like, uh, the, the example I always give is Whitaker against uh, Yoel Romero. Like he just stopped Whitaker, uh, he stopped Romero's ability to kind of time his big flying knees or his big shots by just being in his face all the time. Now I don't think necessarily that's the best way to do it for Lemos here. Maybe the opposite is actually the way to do it: never be in her face, you know, type of thing. So it's a it's an interesting one. I would favor Zhang Weili massively. But the thing about Zhang Weili is as well, right? You look at her and there's this massive fight against possibly Yan Xiaonan in, in China down the road, right? But then there's Tatiana Suarez as well, who everyone is talking about as the next champion. Like, could she look ahead a little bit thinking, right, okay, my two biggest challengers are on the way here. I just kind of have to get past them and the Lemash. And if you start doing that, that's a very, very bad thing to start doing. So interesting, I think, Graham. Interesting. So we'll see how all of that um, 
on phones and how all that goes. Chris Weidman, you know, how do you see this? You know, obviously yeah. is a broken uh, leg. We've we haven't seen many broken legs. We saw Anderson, Corey Hill, Weidman, and Connor. Are they all the broken legs? Like there was a couple there all at one stage. Remember and like yeah, but as badly broken as this, yeah, you're yeah, I think, the, the clean breaks. Thing, like, yeah. yeah, I think. You know, it'd be interesting to see how he looks. The bookies are, don't have much faith in him. Like, you know, if he was fighting Brad Tavares and he hadn't broken his leg, even if he was on a, a two-year layoff, you know, plus 210 for Weidman. Mm, interesting. I, I, do you know what I think? He came back and he did a jiu-jitsu match and it was kind of under lights and all. I think that'll help, you know? Um, I wonder with Weidman as well, right? He, before he went, maybe people don't remember, but like he didn't look amazing. You know, he looked like an older fighter. I just wonder if the timeout has maybe helped a little bit. Like, maybe the, you know, while the leg was healing, maybe did the knee heal or maybe did the shoulder heal or, you know, I don't know. Now, maybe that that's me being very, very uh, positive on it and hopeful on it. Uh, yeah, well, there's like, a lot of questions guess, but, that could, like, possibly play, be yeah. playing, playing a factor here. And, you know, maybe the leg's never going to be the same or maybe it's as good as new and he's healed up other injuries, as you said, and he's had time to kind of, you know, think about his game and get in a better mental space or, you know, uh, adapt his game maybe to the, the away from the, the traits he used to use successfully that he can't use anymore uh, due to kind of slowing down a little bit and things like that. So, yeah, there's a lot of questions. I'm very interested to see how he looks and how this voice looks and this this fight looks. And I'm actually very tempted to, to bet on Weidman, you know. It's easy yeah. to forget how good a fighter this guy was, how dominant he was, like against really good wrestlers like Mark Munoz. He, like, Mark Munoz didn't land one strike in that whole fight. He just got Elbowed the head off him, remember that? Yeah, he burst yeah. at his He went in there and beat Damian Maya, cutting shit load of weight on really short notice to get into the UFC when nobody wanted to fight Damian Maya. Like, this guy is a serious wrestler, a serious grappler, and, a, like, you know, he knocked out Anderson Silva. So, like, he's done it all in the past, and it'd be great to see him, you know, put it together again. But, obviously... The bookies aren't confident, and there's, I can see why with all the questions around it. We've never seen anybody come back from uh, from a broken leg um, as serious as that in the UFC that I can I can recall. So, it'll, it'll, if he can come back and look good, it'll bode well for you know somebody like Connor coming back as well. Anderson came back, not the same though. Yeah, but Anderson was a lot older. I suppose he was really old. Yeah, that's yeah. it's hard to Anderson. It's kind of like did he get old or? Was it uh, never the same after the leg, or is it a mental thing about the leg? You know, you can't throw the leg kicks the same way Anderson used to throw vicious leg. You know, maybe it's a mental thing, maybe it's an age thing, maybe it's a. Um, but like you see, uh, another sports even thing. like look at say like Luke Shaw is a great example. He, you know, broke his leg in half, and you're not getting him, leg kicks, and you're not yeah, leg kicking. It took him eighteen months to kind of come back to start playing well. Like he looked like you, oh, he's never going to be the same. Like Seamus Coleman, another guy, took him a while to kind of come back as well. And you know, maybe the trust yeah. the leg is like the biggest thing. Maybe it's just yeah. a mental block where you like I've had be, knee like. injuries. I have a knee injury at the moment, and I partially fractured my my tibia as well. So like, I can definitely see how you would fear even like playing football or. Take, running too hard or anything in the, in the early stages of coming back no matter how many times the doctor tells you that it's good as new yeah 100% I'm just deli- I, I think you agree with me just delighted to see him back you know and delighted to see him fit and able again hopefully he goes in there and he puts on a good performance and all of that but um, yeah, yeah I probably uh, and surely um, Sarah and Longo will be in his corner which is always uh, keep breathing keep breathing Chris Chris keep breathing yeah indeed alright that was a uh, 
a long and and, uh, and fruitful podcast there, Graham. I feel like we've probably forgotten something, but sure, look, we'll uh, we'll go at it again if we have, and we we uh, we we let you all we let you all go there. Uh, if you haven't signed up to our Patreon, please do patreon.com forward slash severe MMA podcast. Uh, I know a lot of people um, uh, saw our clip from last week and uh, were very. Um, you know, we're very receptive to it and we appreciate that. So if you want to kind of help us out and keep us covering sport the right way, as I feel we've done again today, uh, the best place to do that is patreon.com forward slash severe male podcast. It's only a fiver, you know, plus fat. So it's not too much. We're not robbing you like off the ball. Yeah. And if you, uh, if you actually don't want to pay a cent, like going yeah. over and following us on social media and especially following our, our YouTube page, um, all the links are like on our social medias and on our severemma.com forward slash links. Like if you, obviously people are struggling and like, but just a few clicks and a subscribe would be much appreciated. I monetized on Twitter now as well. So if you want to just reply to my tweets there, you know, that'd be fantastic. Watch on GM's <laughs> Twitter videos on loops while yeah. you're sleeping. <laughs> just, I, I told people to stop following me on Twitter and I was just, please start following me again, again on Twitter there. That'd be absolutely brilliant. But a little um, bit of money has changed your, your point of view. Oh no, fuck that. Oh, hold on. Wait, I'm get, oh yeah. Elon Musk legend. <laughs> I wonder how long this will last. Like it can't, it can't last surely because they're saying it's um, so it costs what like eight quid a month or something, and the minimum is like a tenner. Uh, if you're over five million uh, thingies in the last three months, like that's uh, that's not going to pay them. Like they're going to be paying more out than they're actually getting in with the Twitter blue thing and all. But maybe with advertising and all, I don't know. But. Who knows? Who well, it's, knows? Just, it's probably to attract people over to start putting their videos. People who would traditionally put them on maybe suppose, yeah. uh, YouTube or YouTube probably pays a lot more, but maybe Rumble or things like that, or I don't know, do it kick um, things like that. So Tabs. yeah, it's, it's obviously trying to get people over, trying to entice them. But uh, yeah, I, I'd be I'd be wary about how long it would last as well. Yeah, we'll see. I'm sure, I'll, I'll get the money while the guns good, and we leave it at that. All right, everyone, follow me at Chanchi NBA at Severe MMA at severe mma pod on twitter uh, on uh, instagram as well we're nearly at three thousand followers on instagram so severemma.com we are over on instagram follow us there and uh, youtube as well if you're listening to this on soundcloud if you're listening to this on itunes if you're listening to this on spotify or wherever it might be please uh subscribe click the subscribe button i think there's something graham like i think it's only like 10 percent of people who listen are actually subscribed so please do that if you're if you're there so that'd be absolutely fantastic and uh, we leave it there graham have you a quote for us for the week to let us out on? What she said was sad, but then all the rejection she's had to pretend to be happy could only be idiocy. We'll see you next week. Good luck.